This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. I was going to say another scintillating edition. So this will be scintillating because I just mentioned that it's going to be scintillating, folks. And um, today's topic, I think, is very, very relevant to a lot of dentists. Now, you know, we we talk about taxes and we talk about uh, metrics and we talk about insurance and investing. and But, you know, one of the things we also talk about on this program is uh, transitions. And in transitions, there's different ways you can transition your practice. Like I'm a dental practice broker. And if you were a single dental practice doing a million dollars, you could uh, hire me or another broker to, or do it on your own and sell to another individual dentist. That's one way to do it. Um, another way to do it is, uh, and this is becoming more and more uh, prevalent in dentistry, is to sell to larger groups. Now, you know, many of you think of the larger groups as Heartland and Pacific Dental and Aspen and those groups, but there are many, many really good quality, smaller group practices than those. They own, I think they all own somewhere uh, close to, if not over a a thousand practices. Um, Our guest today is uh, the CEO of one of these high quality um, group practices. His name is David Lohman. He is the um, CEO of Apex Dental Partners, and they own 27 practices in Colorado, Oklahoma, and primarily Texas. And what we're going to talk about today, folks, is the all the things you want to know. Why would you sell to a group practice? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? What can you expect? How is it valued? So we're going to get to all that with David, who is a really, really smart guy, uh, and, and it'll have some really good information. I'm very excited about what you're going to hear today. Uh, but first, let me give you some information. First of all, please go on to our uh, partner's website, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine. That's www.decisionsindentistry.com. Um, and they have amazing clinical content. They've been on top of everything during the pandemic. And uh, they have uh, over 140 continuing education classes that you can purchase for one very, very reasonable price. Uh, so uh, go on to their, their website, look at their articles, their content. If you're not subscribing to their magazine, I think they have 
oh my gosh, I think they have 70 or 80,000 subscribers. Shame on you. You should be subscribing. You should subscribe to them. If you are not working with a dental CPA firm, you should be doing that. Again, shame on you, but I'm allowed to say that. Um, And uh, I am a founding member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 24 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. And our firm, Ide Bailey, I'm a dental director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. That's like the Ides of March, E-I-D-E, and then Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. We work with about 800 dentists in our firm in our different offices. Uh, My group works with about 300 in Tustin. So if you're not working with a dental CPA, go to our website, which is www.adcpa.org. One thing I've been talking about, and this, this, uh, uh, this podcast will air more than likely sometime in June, If whether you have filed for forgiveness or not for your first PPP loan, um, the Congress changed the rules on December 27th of last year, and you can now apply for what's called the Employee Retention Tax Credit. And that's a credit that's up to $5,000 per employee if you had either a greater than 50% reduction in your practice, most likely in the second quarter of 2020, or you were subject to a government-mandated shutdown. Now, that does not mean ADA shut you down, or that does not mean CDA recommended that you're shut down. This is a government mandate. Some states have them, some states don't. But if you had the 50% reduction, and a lot of our doctors did, because you guys were shut down for 8 to 12 weeks, we are getting tens, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars in employee retention tax credit for 2020 and for 2021, it's even more robust. So if you are interested in that, you can go to our YouTube page, I'd bail a YouTube and see the webinar that Jim Donovan and I did on March 10th, or you can just call me uh, at 657-279-3243 or email me at awiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at idbailey.com. If you have any interest in that, and even if you file for forgiveness, folks, you can still get a nice credit. It just depends on what you put down on your forgiveness form. And we are doing our monthly webinar series. And again, if you don't get to them live, you can see them on the YouTube page. Uh, Our next one, uh, we've got Mark Johnson on student loans and Gary Takis on insurance dependence coming up in the next two months. Go to www.idbailey forward slash dental series. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. All right, so let's let's get to our topic today. And again, my guest is uh, David Lohman. David is the CEO of Apex Dental Partners. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Apex uh, owns 27 practices in Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. Their corporate offices are in Dallas. And uh, David is a graduate of the University of Oklahoma. And then uh, he also went to the Kellogg uh, School of Business uh, for his advanced degree in uh, in business at Northwestern University, which means that he is much smarter than I will ever be. Uh, so, David Lohman, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. 
It's great to be here, Art. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me today. So, so David, we were talking before the recording. You're a you're a huge OU fan, and um, I had mentioned that uh, uh, my partner for 33 years in my CPA practice is uh, a young lady named Lauren Chamberlain. Uh, Lauren Chamberlain's mom, Pam. So when I told her, you know, so I asked you, he's like, who, so who, who do you like, <laughs> who do you know in Oklahoma? Oh, well, Chamberlain is the one. So everybody knows Lauren. So, um, I guess if the podcast goes well, we can get you maybe introduced or an autograph softball, maybe. What do you think? I appreciate that. I'll definitely take you up on it. There you go. So, uh, again, the, the purpose of our, um, episode today, folks, is to give you some really good quality information about how, If you are thinking about transitioning your practice and you're thinking about working, uh, looking into groups, David has a lot of great experience in this, not only from what he does with Apex, but his prior life and just knowing the industry. So we're going to get into all that today. So David, first, let's tell us a little bit about your journey. Where did you start off? I know you went to Oklahoma and Northwestern. How did you uh, start your career and how did you form Apex? And tell us a little story about, about that. Yeah, you bet. So I started my career in finance, actually. So I don't come from a dental background. I'm not a dentist myself. Uh, however, my wife, Layla, is a dentist. And, you know, a lot of what uh, the genesis of Apex, what we've built Apex around, has entirely been based on her experience kind of going through dental school, coming out of dental school, and, and really those first uh, two to three years of her career. So um, while she was in undergrad, she worked as a dental assistant uh, for a wonderful, wonderful uh, dentist and, and ultimately became a mentor of hers. And, you know, really went to dental school with this private practice uh, career in mind. Uh, you know, the traditional name on the door, uh, solo practitioner, um, really practice geared entirely around that doctor. And when she came out of dental school, the truth is is that uh, the industry was changing, the economy was in a tough place, private practice just wasn't growing at the same rate that it had historically. And I think the number is 50 of her 54 dental school classmates went to work in a non-private practice setting. So that's that's a number of different uh, situations, but um, but importantly, just non-private practice. And, and when when did she graduate? Uh, 2011. So coming yeah, out and of, of kind of the I've been hearing that too. I talked to the folks at USC and UCLA in our neighborhood, and we're hearing, we're hearing that too. So so go ahead. Yeah, and and you know, candidly, I think that the concept of going to work at you know, group practice was relatively um, young at that time. DSOs were were you know, Heartland existed. Um, some of the larger ones, uh, you know, were certainly out there, but as an industry you know, a lot of young dentists just weren't familiar with what those groups were. And, you know, I think the concept of starting her career there was initially a bit devastating. It it just, you know, rightly or wrongly, it wasn't what she envisioned. Um, You know, she started her career with with a a very large uh, dental organization um, in a practice here in Dallas and, you know, was there for two years. And and I would tell you that over those two years, a couple of things um, kind of evolved. One was, uh, she realized how really as a young dentist coming out of, of school with, you know, kind of no business background, how ill-equipped she was to, to kind of manage the business side of the practice. It wasn't where her strengths were. Um, that's not the case with all dentists by any means, but it wasn't where her strengths and, and more importantly, it wasn't what her interest uh, lied in. It was, it was truly the, you know, kind of the patient, the, the provision of care aspect of dentistry that interested her most. 
Um, you know, the particular group she was with it just simply had a different model. And we'll jump into that, I think, uh, during this podcast of, you know, the wide array of, of different uh, group models out there and, and how there truly is, uh, you know, an, an option for every dentist looking, you know, for, for that broader support. But but what we did realize is that, um, you know, as we kind of, as I followed her early career, obviously closely, um, what we believed there was a place in the industry to combine the values and culture of private practices uh, with the resource of a much larger dental organization. So in 2014, my partner, Matt Hale, and I on the business side, my wife on the clinical side, started Apex Dental Partners. And while we have grown significantly over those seven years, we've really stuck extremely closely to that original model. Uh, our supported network is, is comprised primarily of larger, more mature practices and major metroplexes. Uh, and as you mentioned today, we support about 30 practices and 50 doctors across Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. And so let, let, let's kind of get into some of the different things I so much I want to talk to you about. So you, you said you own about 30 practices. So um, what is the most common profile of a dentist who is looking to sell to a group like yours? Uh, what, what, what are you looking at there? You know, this is a more difficult question than, than probably um, you think. And, and only because today there are, because the industry has evolved so much, I think most people probably think the answer is it's, it's primarily that dentist that's later in their career looking um, for retirement transition solution and, and really looking for an option to kind of sell and, and ultimately transition out of their practice. But I would tell you that, you know, we as a relatively small organization in, in kind of the broader dentistry landscape, you know, we have had doctors join us at truly every kind of decade of their professional career. So 30s, 40s, 50s, and even uh, 60s and even 70s. And, you know, I think the one thing that that is consistent um, is that, People are looking for change. People are looking for something di different than, um, you know, the, the way they're practicing currently. And we can get a little more into that. But I think for your listeners, the, the really exciting part of where we are in dentistry today, that the industry is changing you know, rapidly. That's on the technology side. That's on the marketing side. It's on the, you know, the group dentistry side. And I would tell you that, that you know, more now than at any point in history, there are truly more options out there. There is a model that fits any dentist, any practice, um, and, you know, would really just encourage dentists to, to kind of learn more. You know, it's it, I'm not saying by any means it's a fit for everyone, um, but if you are looking for that support of a larger organization, I truly believe there's one out there for you. And, and I know there's a lot of reasons, David, that, that I hear, uh, and especially in the pandemic. I mean, I, I have doctors who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s who are saying, you know, I came back to this and I got to do all this PPE and I got to wear all this and I got to dress like a space, like I'm going <laughs> into space to do dentistry and I got to buy all this equipment and patients are worried and every single patient is telling me they're COVID. This is not what I signed up for. And, and some of them are saying, you know, maybe it's time for me to transition out of the management part. A lot of them don't like the management part of it. So give us some reasons that you get from people. Why, why do they want to look, look to talk to you? Yeah, you bet. And, and I think that the really the, the true answer is that the reasons are so personal and so different for each dentist. But, um, you know, I think if we look across the literally hundreds of conversations we have each year, the, uh, you know, the 50 plus doctors that, that are in our group, I can kind of break that down into three buckets. And, and, 
You know, I think the first is financial, Um, whether that is kind of ultimately a retirement transition solution or uh, kind of more wealth diversification. And and as you mentioned, the pandemic kind of highlighted for the first time in maybe the last decade to business owners that there's risk in this world. Um, You know, we've been living in a really good business environment. And I think for a lot of not just dentists, but, but small business owners as a whole realize that you know, when you have the overwhelming majority of your wealth tied up in a single asset that is also your, you know, kind of income source, that's a lot of financial concentration. So I would say the first bucket is is financial reasons that a doctor might explore uh, affiliating their practice with a group. I would say the second is, again, you mentioned it, but it's really the support. It's that dentist who is stressed, who is, um, you know, feels like they're stretched too thin. I, the, the word is, is probably, or the, the phrase is probably overly used, but it's that work-life balance. It's, it's that dentist that is looking to give up the administrative burden uh, that's associated with, with practice ownership. And, you know, I think that if there's one thing that groups do exceptionally well, it is providing that, that kind of business support, uh, you know, to a dentist's strong clinical background. And then I would say the third uh, kind of bucket, and we see this primarily, I think, with younger doctors who are joining groups, is its growth. Um, Many of these doctors feel like they've got more uh, that they can provide, that they can offer to this industry, to their practice, that there's growth that they just haven't been able to hit. You know, they were growing rapidly for a point in their career and have really plateaued and are looking for the support, whether that's marketing, whether that's leadership, whether it's just, you know, a little more maybe business focus to help them take their practice to that next level. And and again, the nuances within those are specific to the doctor, but those are really the three that we see most common. And you know, what's interesting is because, again, I've been working with dentists for almost 37 years, David, and, and I just see you know, when they come into our office and I'm doing their planning sessions, I, I talk to them about their practice. I say, well, what are you doing for marketing? Well, I'm really not doing anything. I said, okay, so let's look you up on Google, all right? Because uh, my, my <laughs> one of my good friends in the industry, he he uh, Gary Tech, as he talks about, he says, what's the most uh, what what's the the number one uh, search engine uh, out there? And the answer is Google. And the and then he asked, well, well, what's the number two search engine? And the answer is, who cares? Exactly. You know? So, so basically, exactly. uh, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll take these, I'll take the dentist and I'll go, let's Google, let's say they're in a city of Lakewood, California. Uh, let, let's Google dentist Lakewood or Lakewood dentist. And, and it is amazing to them how they don't show up on page one, two, three, or four. And I go, if you're not in the first two or three, you know, it's, you might as well not even be on the internet and it's all about reviews but I would think that, that, you know, working with a group on marketing, I mean, you've got marketing, I'm going to guess, down to a science and, uh, you know, how you do it and the different ways you do it. And then technology. And, and also, don't you guys offer a lot of training as far as, you know, uh, clinical training? Because, you know, we want these dentists to be the best clinical dentists that they can be. So all these things. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this is part of where, we have found that that a lot of dentists are hesitant to admit that they're struggling with parts of their practice. That in in many cases that doesn't show up in revenue. Um, you know they're, they're quite successful at the top line. 
it's that they feel, you know, I mentioned this industry is evolving. It's, it's really business as a whole. Marketing has become more and more complex. Um, you know, some of the dentists that are later in their career are probably listening to this podcast. You know, they started at a time where in many states, marketing your dental practice was actually illegal. You know, had, there were restrictions on the size of the sign you could have, uh, you know, outside of your practice. And, and now truly, you know, if you don't have a website refined, uh, you know, kind of SEO process uh, to drive traffic to your website, uh, you're not driving patient reviews, it, right or wrong, in many cases, you're getting left behind. Someone else is, is attracting kind of a disproportionate share of those new patients. And, you know, anybody listening here knows that that really new patients, the lifeblood of a practice. So, you know, beyond marketing, it's, it's, you know, it comes down to a, to a limitation on mindshare. As a dentist, as a practice owner, you're expected to be an expert of everything. You know, you're, you're seeing patients chair side probably eight plus hours a day, and then you get to start the other half of your job. And that's, you know, dealing with staffing issues that came out uh, uh, up throughout the day. It's paying bills. It's, it's uh, doing, you know, working with, you uh, you may be art on on the other side and on the accounting piece. It's it's making sure. sure your supplies are ordered. It's just a lot of hats that the dentists have to wear. And and as you said, this industry is becoming more and more complex on the compliance side, on the regulatory side. And again, I think that's where groups have really stepped up and said, "Look, we can build through scale. We can build true subject matter expertise that you know for most practices, you know, single and even maybe one or two." you know, practice groups, it's really hard to have dedicated resources that focus all day, every day on, um, you know, your new patient acquisition uh, platform, your marketing platform, your your benefits, your, your payroll, the technology side of your business, all things that I think take a back burner in many cases, but are, are really, really important to a practice's overall success. And exactly. And, um, you know, so, so, when you're looking at a practice, um, I mean, you, I, I'm assuming from our conversations that you're at 27, you're looking at growing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What are you looking for? In other words, we, we, we've talked about why the dentist might want to come to a group and you gave three buckets, the, you know, the financial, the management and the quality of life and all those things. But w- what are you, what are you looking for? In other words, you're, you're not going to buy every practice that, that gets in front of you, right? That's right. And and I think that, you know, the most successful, I would say groups, but really businesses as a whole, you know, across industries are those that have a, a model, a, a business model that stay disciplined and, and stick to it. And, and regardless of what segment of the industry, you know, you fall into, you look at, at grocery, you've got, um, you know, Walmart uh, up to Whole Foods, and, and they're really targeting different segments of, of the general population. But they stay true to that that kind of business model, and and have each carved out you know massively successful niches. And I think dentistry is is absolutely the same. And and again, as the you know the group landscape in this industry has has continued to grow, has continued to evolve. There's truly models out there for everybody, and and what different groups are looking for varies based on that model. But um, you know, let me speak to a little bit. We are primarily general dentistry focused. Uh, we have some pediatric practices in our group, but um, as a whole, you know, focused on on general dentistry versus some groups that are multi-specialty. Um, you know, we've really seen an emergence of, of specialty uh, focused groups, whether that's oral surgery, uh, ortho, or or um, 
uh, endodontic groups. I, I, you I know, dealt last, with all of them. Yeah, that, that's we, right. We that's clients right. That are talk, we have specialty clients that are talking to the, all of those uh, food groups, if you will. Absolutely. And, and but I can I can talk a little bit about, you know, general dentistry broadly and, and kind of us specifically at Apex, what we look for. So, you know, the first, it's, it's just reality of of um, the world. Most groups look at, at kind of a minimum financial size, um, and that is groups are devoting tremendous resources to support you and your practice. And, and you know, at the bottom, at the end of the day, it, it's got to be profitable. And so, you know, I would guess that most groups um, uh, from a standalone basis, so looking at your practice, operating it standalone, and I, I mean that versus, you know, potentially merging practices together uh, to create larger kind of group practices, which you know, we've found tremendous success in as an organization. And I think the doctors uh, have found tremendous benefits in, in practicing in kind of these larger group settings. But for a lot of groups, I would guess that there's probably, you know, at, at the very kind of, you know, high level, a 900,000 of, of collections or a demonstrable path to near-term growth um, that they're looking for in a practice. Now, if you are not at that level, um, that does not mean there's not a group out there for you. I truly am speaking kind of in generality. So, um, you know, I'd encourage you to, to look out there, look at your options, contact us. You know, even if Apex is not the right fit for you, uh, we're not operating in your um, area, we are always happy to have a conversation and talk with you about, you know, the options that we see out there. So the first is, is kind of size. Um, the second, I would say, is is kind of geographic focus. You know, most groups are not truly kind of national groups out there. You know, there are some that are in, you know, maybe 35 or 50 states, but the overwhelming majority of groups are kind of hyper-regional groups, if you will. So, um, you know, are is, is a group operating in your part of the country? Um, are they growing in your part of the country? Uh, the kind of tangent on that is even within that, you know, geographic region, what is their focus? Is it urban? Is it suburban? Is it more rural? Um, you know, so on a lot of these, it's not about whether or not your practice checks a box to be interesting to a group. It's whether or not you find a group that truly values what you have to to offer. And again, I, I truly believe there is there is a model out there for for every dentist today. So if I'm a dentist out there, one of the things that I've talked to, I like to talk to lots of young dentists. I talk to them in dental school. I talk to clients. And, and you hear about groups and you hear, oh, my God, well, as soon as you go to work for that group and you work back, they're going to tell you what lab to use and what supplies to use and what burrs to use and what gloves to wear. And and they're going to and it's all about production, production, production. I'm, I'm guessing that that in a good quality group practice like yours, that the dentist has pretty much full, um, you know, the full ability to. To, to, to give patient care the way he or she feels like they should give patient care. Talk, talk a little bit about that and what a dentist should be looking at when, you know, what are they going to, you know, when they practice on their own, they do whatever they want. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now they're working with Apex or another group. W what should they be? Questions they should be asking, things like that. How, and, and how do you guys do it? Yeah, great, great question. And probably the most important thing that we're going to talk about today. And, and you know, that is truly identifying, you know, if you are exploring group options, the group that's right for you. So I would start with philosophy, understanding uh, what the group's general philosophy is, um, you know, both from a business perspective and, and really importantly to the specific question, a, cl a clinical perspective. Uh, what role does the doctor play both within the practice, within the broader organization, um, and and I think a tangent on that to give you kind of insight into to truly 
um, you know, what that looks like is inquire what their average doctor tenure looks like. Um, you know, for a doctor who's looking to kind of sell their practice as a retirement transition solution, it's, it's you know, two years and I'm out. Maybe this matters most, or excuse me, maybe this matters uh, less. But I would tell you that the overwhelming majority of conversations we have with doctors, regardless of where they are in their career, they're looking, you know, for a longer term partner here. Uh, they're not looking for for kind of a short-term transition solution. And so I think that's really important. Um, next question is, what does this mean for my team? Um, you know, what is what benefits would my team pick up as, as being part of a larger group? Uh, how does this impact their pay? Um, you know, things like that. Again, these are the people who have allowed you to be successful for years and years. It's your support staff. So um, make sure that you understand how joining a larger group impacts them. Uh, you mentioned it, and, and to me, I think what's what is the group's approach to clinical decisions? That's labs, that's supplies. I would say that um, you know, just like this is not you know necessarily uh, specific to groups. I think it's the reality of of working either for somebody or with somebody as a partner. It, you know, even in private practice, um, a lot of private practices are going to tell you. Uh, if you're an associate doctor, what labs to use, what supplies they're going to order. And, and groups take different approaches. You know, we as at Apex take a different approach uh, personally. It works for us, um, you know, but I think it's it's important to understand what that approach is. And, and for us, lab supplies, um, those are clinical decisions. And 100% of clinical decisions uh, stay with our doctors. So yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that as a group, because one of the advantages of being in a group, David, is you 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 know you you've got some buying power, right? I mean, a, a person that that owns one practice isn't quite frankly going to have the buying power of a group that owns twenty seven or fifty or hundred practices. So you you might say to the doctor, um, "No, doctor, you know we've got a good deal with this company, and and as long as they have the materials and supplies that you're comfortable practicing with, yeah, you can go ahead and." And, and, and use them. So what is it that's going to tell you to pass on a dental practice? I mean, I, I, how many practices a year do you guys look at to, uh, I mean, do you look at a lot? Do you look yeah, at we, a couple? We do. And I, I think most groups are, are probably in the same bucket. So we probably evaluate a hundred plus practices a year. And okay. you can tell, you know, by the number that, um, you know, we have affiliated over the years is that, we are extremely selective. Um, you know, we, we stay disciplined to our model. Importantly, we take the approach that, you know, when you're entering into a partnership, we think of it as a marriage. We want it to last long term. Uh, we kind of make the joke that uh, never wise to enter into a marriage hoping to change the other person. So we we uh, spend a lot of time focused on, you know, the person up front, making, this, making sure this is a person who, you know, not only do they share apex values, but do we align with how they uh, have built their practice over the years. Uh, we look for opportunities where we truly believe we can add value, um, help take that burden off a doctor, help make them uh, build upon the success that they've achieved to, to date and, and really um, you know, take some of that weight off their shoulders. So for us, it, it starts with, is this a person we want to be in business with? Um, you know, I think probably a lot of people think it's more financially driven, but we have passed on many really, really large profitable opportunities because it wasn't a person that we thought, you know, long-term fit the apex culture. And I think truly you will see that among most groups out there that they have 
you know, kind of a profile that they've been successful with, that they've had long-term successful partnerships with, and are really focused on ensuring that it's a long-term positive relationship. So for us, it's about, it, it starts with the person. I would say second is pair mix. Now, this may be lower on the list for, for certain groups, but, you know, we have a very specific model in which our practices are either entirely fee-for-service or uh, PPO-driven. So uh, no HMO, no Medicaid. Again, there are groups out there that on the other side are entirely Medicaid-focused groups, and they do it extremely well. Um, so it goes back to finding a group that values your payer mix uh, and, and ultimately can offer you the most value for that in, in terms of purchase price. So I want to take a second. And guys, this is, again, I don't, <laughs> I don't get anything for having someone like David on. This is not a promotion for Apex. This is someone who's obviously very knowledgeable and smaller groups um, could be a fit for you. And it's like anything else. You need to look at the opportunity and say, is this a fit? David needs to look at it and say, is it a fit? So, David, if, if any of our folks uh, anywhere in the country um, have questions about, you know, I'm thinking about going to a group and I've got this, uh, you, you indicated you'd be happy to chat with them, right? That, that's absolutely right. Okay. So, why don't you go ahead and give out your contact information, uh, your phone number and your email, and we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. I've got your email uh, what's a phone number that they can reach you if they want to call you? Yeah, so the best way to reach us is is uh, 214-704-0720. Okay. And uh, for those of you just looking for, for maybe a, a less kind of committal uh, way to, to reach out, again, we, we understand that each person is at different places of, of kind of exploring transitions. So I would encourage you to visit our website. It's Apex. DP, that's D is in dental, P is in partners.com. And you can reach our, our affiliations team at affiliations at apexdp.com. Again, that's a group that will be happy to have conversations with you regardless of, of where you are in your kind of, um, you know, research period of, of understanding whether or not a group or Apex specifically might be the right fit for you. Uh, they're extremely knowledgeable. They talk with a lot of dentists each and every day. And, and, you know, we've really built this company around being a resource for dentists. Whether or not Apex is, is ultimately the right partner, uh, we want to be helpful. We, we're excited about where this industry is going. Uh, we're excited about the opportunity that, that still exists here and, and, you know, truly want to be value added. No, and, and you're right. And I'm excited about where dentistry is going to coming out of this pandemic. I mean, I remember in 2008, David, the dental profession came out and they were down 5, 10, 15%, but they came through it. Um, this pandemic, you know, they had to shut down for eight to 12 weeks. We were very lucky that a lot of our doctors got PPP loans, which uh, a lot of them were able to bank the money, which is kind of nice. And right. um, they got other guidance. We have the ERTC and all this stuff. And, and, and dentistry has always just been so resilient and able to, you know, and, and it's all about caring and trust. And as long as, Doctors, you're, you're looking at a group, if that's the way you decide to go, uh, where, you know, because you're probably going to want to work there. And that's one of my next questions coming up is, is about, do you want the doctors to work? But if, if this is a place you want, you know, maybe you're 45, 50 and you want to you wanna travel, you want to not have all the headaches and worry about, oh, my God, I got to do a new website and I've got a. I've got HR issues and what do I do with this one employee that's driving me crazy? You know, you, you can look at this. So. Um, I get, I guess the next, the next question is, is, um, 
you know, let, let's say I have a dentist who wants to sell to a group practice, okay? You or somebody else. Um, are, are large group practices being aggressive out there in the marketplace, contacting uh, individual practitioners? Should it, I mean, it, it's not like the MLS in real estate where if I want to go buy a house in Dallas, I get a broker, I look on the MLS and there's a house. It, it doesn't quite work that way in dentistry. So what, what should somebody do if they want to start exploring? How do they find you guys? Yeah, and, and I think that's a great point is that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't sit back and, and assume that uh, if a doctor's in, or if a, a group is interested in your practice, that you'll hear from them. And in, in fact, quite the opposite in, in many ways. I mean, just the dynamics of dentistry make kind of outward marketing more difficult. Um, you know, we would never cold call a practice or just show up looking to speak with a doctor. I think we're extremely conscious that most doctors, um, are afraid of, of how their staff will react if, if they find out they're, you know, exploring different transition options. And, and we always want to be, you know, extremely respectful of, of you know, the impact of, of, of exploring, you know, option, what exploring options has on a doctor. And so, you know, we do, uh, we have a, a direct mail marketing um, effort. We do some digital marketing. But I, I would encourage all dentists to do their research. Um, there's a number of, of places out there that where you can, you know, look for lists of, of groups active in your state. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there on different groups. I, I would encourage you to, you know, do as much of that work, uh, you know, on the on the front end, and and then have some calls, have some meetings. That's what we do. Our, our job is to help, you know, um, educate doctors on our model, uh, how we're different. Um, you know, how Apex might be the right fit or, or another partner might be the right fit. So, um, you know, I think every group out there is, is you know, always open and excited to having those conversations, even if they're preliminary. So, uh, and, and don't wait. Um, this is probably the number one, I don't know, that one of the hardest parts of my job is, is telling a doctor that we're not going to be the right fit because they waited too long. Um, you know, they, as, as they wound their career down, uh, the practice declined. It's no longer something that's a fit for our model. And, you know, I think every group has had that conversation. So, you know, encourage you to start at least your research early and, and you know, make sure you're in the driver's seat of making of making the decision on when the right time is to transition your practice. Yeah. And, and yeah, if, if you wake up one day and you can't move your right arm, that's not a good time to start calling dental groups, folks. Um, in any negotiation, and I teach this to clients and young dentists all over the place. In any negotiation, you have to look at what your leverage is. And if you are 45 years old, healthy, you'd like to get a ch make a change, like David was saying, then you've got leverage because if you go to Apex or another group and, and they make you an offer or something, um, you know you don't have to sell to them. So that that's leverage. So l let's talk about first. I want to talk about valuation because the dentists are all going to want to know now in 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 southern california and which is the world i live in we look at valuing single practices we look at a couple of different factors and i've talked about this on the show before anywhere between two and two and a half times the true net profit the after we add back depreciation and interest and amortization and uh you know my my goldfish that i'm paying i mean all the stuff that goes <laughs> through and what have you and that's a whole nother show. We've talked to the bankers about that. And, and in Southern California, 75 to 90, 95%, 95 is a little high, of, of the prior 12 months gross receipts. And the pandemic is not really taken into account because that's not a real 
period. So we look at those and that's how we usually value. Now, I know that there's EBITDA and, and different ways to value practices. And uh, David, dentist here, oh, well, if I sell to a group, I'm going to get 12 times gross revenues. I go, yeah, well, good luck with that. Um, tell us when you're looking at maybe how you do it. Um, how do you look at valuation? I mean, do you have a formula? Do you have a, a, a way you do it? How do you do it? Yeah, so great question. And, and, you know, I think that historically, a lot of dentists have kind of been uh, directed towards this percentage of revenue, percentage of collections, as, as you mentioned. Um, and, and that is truly a great kind of, um, you know, hey, if, if all I'm looking is at a very high level for estate planning reasons of roughly what would my practice be worth? I think that's a good place to start. I think the reality is, is that when you look at something based on revenue, it, it really ignores the nuances of the practice. And, and for doctors, especially who have run a business, um, a, a really well-run business that's highly profitable, basing something off revenue probably understates the value of, of their actual practice. And so, you know, I love that you mentioned this this multiple of net Um you know, that is a metric, I think, if you look back 20 years that was more common in the industry, it's moved more towards, you know, doctors at a high level looking at, at a percentage of revenue. But most groups are, are really basing it on that kind of original. We, we do uh, look at EBITDA, but effectively, it's the same metric as, as, a, as a multiple of your net. It just EBITDA takes into account the doctor's ongoing compensation. So it, it's really this it's six one half dozen to another. It's just the multiple gets bigger. Um, it's not that the, va- that the value is no different, but the multiple is slightly larger if you're looking at EBITDA versus, you know, like you said, a two and a, uh, two to two and a half times net. So, so for those of you on here, and, and Art, you got you may have covered this um, a lot, but EBITDA is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's it's sounds complicated at a really high level. It's revenue minus your practice overhead minus ongoing doctor compensation. Right. And, you know, that's really what most groups and, and really most businesses across all industries are valued on. It's a proxy for cash flow. And, you know, a buyer, whether it's a group, an individual buyer, uh, or if you're listing a practice, you're doing an analysis for that buying dentist to understand what is the cash flow of this practice going forward? Can it cover my note? Can it uh, provide the income I need as, as, you know, if it's a solo doctor, you know, for my family, if it's a group, um, you know, to cover the resources you're committing. And, and that's really how we look at, at valuations. But, um, you know, I, I think it's ultimately any practice is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And I think there are certain dynamics of a practice that makes, you know, whether that's location, whether it's opportunity for growth, um, whether it's initial size, there are nuances that that value some practices over others. And, and I think that's really where either engaging someone like Art or, uh, you know, working directly with a group, if that's the, the route you choose to go, uh, can really help you understand, you know, where does your practice fall on that range? So, yeah, and, and that's right. And, and you know, you're going to come up with a valuation. So let's say you talk to Art Wiederman DDS and you come in, you like my, I have a, you know, six operatory practice. I'm doing 1.3 million. It's a profitable practice. We have, um, you know, uh, philosophies that align and everything is good. You like us, we like you. Um, and then, you know, we go in and make a, go ahead and make, make the, make the offer. So is, you know, when, when I sell a practice, um, most all of the time, it's a cash deal. Now, whether it means that the buyer is coming up with a hundred percent cash, 
That happens every once in a while, but most of the time they go to the banks and they will get a loan and they may get a loan for 100%. They may get a loan, the bank might only loan 80 or 90%. And they'll put their own cash back in. There might be a small seller note. How do you guys do it? In other words, um, you know, I know that some groups, David, offer equity in their groups. Uh, I know that some groups hold back money for different reasons. So if I come to you and let's say you told me we agreed that I was going to buy, I was going to sell my practice to Apex for a million and a half. By the way, I want a million seven, but we'll talk about that later. Just, <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. No, I, a million and a half is a fair price. How is that going to work? Is it different in every deal? Is most of it, do you have a, a, a certain formula? Is it all cash? Do you hold back? Is there equity? How does that work? Yeah, so it's probably different for each buyer. Um, but but I would say at a high level, you're absolutely correct. So so the difference is in most of the transactions that you mentioned and kind of uh, where a dentist is listing their practice, selling to another dentist, and there's probably either zero or at most a pretty short-term transition, um, you know, and, and then you're out. Uh, those are primarily full cash, you know, full cash at close type transactions. For most groups, um, they place tremendous value on that extended transition of the selling dentist. Um, you know, maybe not all, but I, I know we certainly do. We look for a, a minimum of a two to three year commitment from that selling doctor. And, you know, our deals are all structured the same. So we structure, um, each of our affiliations as 75% of the purchase price do at close, 25% held back in the form of a seller note uh, that's paid out over those two to three years, depending on the commitment. Um, you know, we specifically don't have contingencies on that note. You know, some groups it's tied to uh, your production going forward. Other groups, it's you know, it, it has different kind of um you know, almost burnout type features where it's based on the performance of the practice after close. Uh, we specifically only have the note contingent upon you continuing to practice during that transition period. It's really designed to align incentives, um, ensure that uh, there's a smooth transition of the practice that, um, you know, ideally we'd, we'd have really long-term relationships with all of our dentists, but we're also aware that, uh, you know, some dentists actually are looking for a retirement transition solution. And, and when you've reached that point, you've absolutely earned the right to, uh, you know, to be in control of that timing. So, you know, that's how our deals are structured. Within that seller note, uh, we do have an option for a dentist to take a portion of that seller note in the form of equity in the management company. Um, and this is, you know, when, when dentists hear about taking equity in a group, I think there's two ways in which that comes. It's typically either kind of equity at the practice level and, and the other is equity at the management company level. Both have, I think, pros and, and, and cons. Um, and you should just really understand, you know, which one fits what you're looking for. And, and more importantly, that you understand the mechanics of how kind of a future value is, is realized in that equity. And is it, it's also important, and again, I, I don't know what your future plans are, and you know, we're not going to get into what Apex's future plans are today, but um, there are groups that form and they buy a bunch of practices and uh, they basically merge up. In other words, they, they might have, they might start with 10 or 20 practices and they acquire and they get to 50 and then they're going to go to private equity or they're going to go to a larger group and they're going to do that. And it's important um, to, to probably it's important to any group you're talking to, to ask them, you know, what, what's your end game? Because if you come and you talk to David Lohman and his team and you really like what they're doing and 18 months later, and you want to work for five years, 18 months later, they sell to, um, 
uh, ABC Dental, and ABC Dental is, you know, you have to throw up every morning before you go to work. I mean, that's uh, that's not good. So it, it's appropriate to ask those questions, David, isn't it, in the interview process for a seller? Of, yeah. A, a seller? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's regardless of whether you're taking equity um, as part of that deal or not. Um, obviously, it's even more important if you're taking equity. But again, you know, we are looking for long-term relationships with with every doctor, whether that's a selling doctor, whether that's a doctor who joins us, um, you know, out of growth. But, um, you know, it's really important that everybody's oriented around long-term plans. And, you know, I think that y- you mentioned it, there's kind of two, look, at the end of the day, regardless of any, you know, what any business um, looks like or their investor group looks like, investors tend to want money back at some point. And, and I think that's important to realize make, that. Yeah, yeah, that's and, how it works. Exactly, know. exactly. And, and, I, I thought you know, there was like all free money and they just do whatever they want and it does not a big deal, you know, so. It, that would be nice for sure. That would but, be uh, nice. It would be easier, <laughs> right? That, that's right. And, and But I think it's important to understand, you know, if, if I say a group, but if even, a you know, an individual comes to you and says, look, we're going to put 10 of these together and flip it and we're all going to get rich. I would have real concerns as to what the long-term kind of business model looks like in that approach. It probably dictates the way that they make uh, decisions that, you know, they may be making uh, decisions that make sense short-term financially, but, you know, limit your long-term growth as the practicing dentist, you know, where other groups, um, you know, if they're more long-term oriented, I think that, you know, as private equity has become more and more active in, in the dental industry, there's a lot of concern among dentists of what that means. It, it, to some, it's, it's, it reflects opportunity and excitement. To others, you know, it's, it's a scary kind of boogeyman. And I think the reality is understanding that really private equity is simply a financial buyer. Um, for most practicing dentists and, and really any person at, um, whether at the support level or, or at the practice level within an organization, bringing on a a private equity buyer likely has very little impact on kind of the day-to-day operations of of how you go about your day. Um, It's truly, you know, it's returning capital to one set of investors and and replacing it with another and really starts the clock on, on kind of that next phase of growth for most organizations. So I would say, look, it's certainly not in every group. It, It may not even be the right fit for you, but don't be afraid. Ask the questions and, and truly understand how kind of that long-term uh, plan aligns with with your long-term plans as a, as a practicing dentist. Yeah, that, that's really, really good advice. So I, I want to ask another question. So I'm counseling my client, Dr. Wiederman, who has a million-dollar practice. Um, he's netting 350000 a year. Now, folks, remember, what you net for tax purposes and on paper isn't necessarily what you really net because I, I think I've mentioned, David, one of my clients years ago told me about how they have expenses in their business called business expenses, B-U-S-I-N-A-L. <laughs> I said, so what's business? It's a combination of business and personal. I said, oh, this will be interesting. Tell me about that. So the fact is, doctors, if you are running $50,000, a year through your practice and uh, going, you know, stuff that may be on the, you know, on the cusp of being deductible, not deductible. Um, I don't necessarily think that Apex or any other group is going to allow you to do that. So maybe you're making really four hundred thousand in your practice, David. What what would a dentist? So you're going to go ahead and you're going to buy my practice for 
I don't know, 800, 900,000. What, what are you going to buy my practice for? You're going to write me a check for 75%. You're going to kind of pay me the rest on a note. Or maybe you're going to give me equity. Whatever you're going to do. So I am I going to still make that $400,000? What's the compensation formula? And, and doctors, it's, it's really important that you understand that if you sell your practice, whether it be to another dentist and work back or, is it, or, or to a, a group, I'm guessing they might not make as much money as they were making as an owner. Does that make sense, David? You know, it, it does. Um, but I think there's a couple but ways to look work? at that. Yeah. And, and we spend a lot of time kind of helping doctors understand that financial picture going forward. And, and I think, you know, we have seen a lot of doctors go, well, I'd be better off working three more years. And, and in a spreadsheet, that's always going to be the case. Um, that's just the way math works. Uh, what that ignores is kind of the risk. It, it ignores the the burden. It ignores all the kind of the intangible reasons that a doctor might look to partner with a group. So, you know, we talk to doctors a lot about if you think about as a practice owner, the income, that 400K in, in your example, Art, um, it, you're really being compensated for wearing three hats. You are the doctor. So part of that 400,000 is is what you're earning chair side effectively. Uh, part of it is you're the manager. Even if you have an office manager, you're ultimately the manager of your practice. And the third is it's a return on the initial equity that you invested when you bought that or started that practice. So there's really three hats you're wearing. And by affiliating with a group, you're giving up two of those three. You're giving up the equity investor hat and the manager hat. Um, now they are not a third, a third, a third. I would please don't hear that. Your income's not going to decrease by two thirds, or, or certainly shouldn't. Um, but you're right. There, there is, you know, part of that income that you're giving up, and that's effectively the return that the buyer looks for on the investment they're making in your practice. However, I think if you don't do the second part of this equation, and that is what can I do with the equity that I took out of my practice? I'm sure Art and his colleagues would be happy to you know, help educate you on, on different uh, kind of investment structures or estate planning structures you know, through different parts of their firm or, or maybe sister um, firms. But you know, I think it's really important to understand that, look, if I'm taking a million dollars of cash out of my practice, that yes, the income I earn year to year in the practice is likely to go down because now I'm only, you know, I, I'm only functioning as a dentist. Um, now I say only, it's a huge and important role within the practice, but you've really given up those other two hats. But what is the income I can earn by investing that million? And when I spoke earlier to one of the, you know, reasons a doctor looks to join a group that's both estate planning, retirement planning, but it's also younger doctors that are younger in their career are saying, look, I've got this equity I've built in my practice. I'd like to diversify it, whether that's um, investing in real estate, whether it's investing in you know startups or small businesses, whatever's of interest to you. But it's really taking that equity out and giving it an opportunity to grow. So if you ignore kind of that, that passive income component or the, the um, opportunity you have to build on that million, um, you're really ignoring part of the equation. I think when you put that together, a lot of doctors realize that the the lost income is extremely minimal um, up front. Uh, one thing, one more thing, Art, and then I'll, I'll let you talk. But um, no, that's okay. This is one, one of the one of the beauties I think that a lot of doctors realize is that with support, with a hundred percent of their kind of mind share focused on that operatory. Um, 
you know, they see their treatment acceptance go up. Uh, with the marketing support, they see the opportunity for production to increase through new patient flow. Um, with, you know, staff training support and, and, you know, additional resources for the practice, whether that's, you know, your facility, technology, all of those things give doctors an opportunity to actually grow their practice. And I think they see that the gap that's over time between what they're earning uh, pre-joining a group and post-joining a group, you know, actually becomes negligible. And and we have a number of doctors who truly earn more with Apex um, today than they were taking out of their practice as the practice owner. So do, do they get, let's say they come in and their practice is doing a million and, 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 and what you just said happens is they, they're happier, the stress is gone, their, their, their case presentation is better, you give them some training, their revenue. So now this practice is not doing a million, it's doing a million six. Do they get rewarded a share of the additional profit once they've sold to you in, in not only your group, but in other groups that you've seen? Yes. Yeah, so this is, I think it, it, there's two uh, pieces, two answers to this question. So the first is if you are taking an equity component, uh, specifically at the practice level, you would directly see some increase in, in the value of that equity. If you are taking it in the you know management company level, it's less direct, but you have to assume that if you know the company you've joined has has enabled that growth in your practice, that they're likely growing the overall organization in a similar way. So there's an equity growth component to this that I think is really important. The second is is kind of okay, but what's the cash kind of participation, the the annual cash participation in that growth? And really, for doctors, they see that in twofold. So uh, the first, well, within Apex at least. Within Apex, we have a practice growth incentives that is specific to our doctors. So uh, they share in kind of this bonus pool for year over year total practice growth. It's really designed that, you know, some of that growth comes in in hygiene. And while that's not how our doctors are directly compensated uh, from a, you know, a, a regular compensation formula, it's important that they're supportive and, and share in that upside. And the other side is you have to assume that, you know, a million to a million six in this example, that the overwhelming majority of that, you know, most general dentistry practices are about 75% doctor production versus 25% hygiene production. That is correct. So you have picked up, you know, your your kind of compensation formula on that, you know, 450,000 in this case. Um, and, and that's something that, uh, you know, happy to jump into of, of how our, you know, compensation formula works for doctors. But in general, I think most groups compensate their doctors on uh, either a percentage of net production or collections, which they're effectively the same at the end of yeah, the day. We hope. Um, that, that, that's right. That's right. But um, and and so it's it's really you know you have the opportunity to grow your uh, income, and and I would say that look as a group we only make money if our doctors make money. And so incentives are a hundred percent aligned to help you grow your practice. Right. So a couple more things before we, we, we put a bow on this, David, and, and the information is great. Just, just folks think about it. I, I use this. I've said this on this podcast for two and a half years now, 75% of any major decision that you make in your life, whether it's getting married, buying a house, buying a building, buying a practice, selling your practice to a group is in your gut. And if, if, if it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't smell right, and you're being pressured, and then you shouldn't do it. Uh, but so, David, let, let's say that we wanted to come into your group. You've got 50 doctors, and, and not all 50 of them have sold their practice to Apex, but some of them have, right? That's right. 
Right. So w- would I have, would Dr. Wiederman have the right to, to pick up the phone and call Dr. Jones in um, uh, Dallas who sold his practice to Apex uh, three years ago and say, hey, Dr. Jones, you know, I'm kind of thinking about doing this. How, how's this working out for you? Is this a good idea? Are these good people? Or am I going to end up in, uh, in, in, in Iceland somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. Um, does that, do, do you allow that? Uh, do, do you encourage that? How does that work? Yeah, n- not only do we allow it, uh, we, it's truly a requirement for us for affiliating okay. doctors. We, you know, we're big believers. Again, it goes back to we want every person who joins Apex, whether that's a selling doctor, whether that's a doctor who joins us, you know, um, as an addition to a practice, whether that's a dental assistant. We really talk about your time with Apex as a career, not a job. Um, I, I know that's probably not. Um, you know, as, as, as big of a nuanced approach to many of your doctor listeners, but I'm sure many of them kind of understand the difference as they've hired staff and, and where, you know, a lot of staff today may look at it as a job rather than a career. And, and so it's really geared around this long-term orientation. We want doctors to be with us for the remainder of their career. And so, you know, we think it's really important that expectations are aligned up front. You know, no transition is 100% smooth. You know, if a group tells you that it is, they probably haven't done enough of these. Uh, Art, I'm, sure you, <laughs> right. I'm sure you've seen this. Um, right. But the, the reality is, is that every transition is different. And it's different because, you know, the the emotions behind a practice transition and ownership transition is, is incredibly emotional for that doctor. It should be. This is your baby. You've built this. Um, and if you're partnering with a group for, you know, to build upon that legacy, you know, that that transition is going to be an emotional one. And so we really encourage doctors, you know, here's we, we start with three typically and say, here's three. If you want more, you know, call more. We've had doctors call 10 or 15 of our doctors, um, but we require that they speak with a couple of them and ask the hard question. How was the transition for you? What were the pain points? How did your staff react? Again, I think it's really important that a doctor hears that, hey, when we hit a road bump, uh, Apex was really quick uh, to take a partnership approach to resolve the issue and and to make sure that uh, you know things got back on track and and I think that is that is what you should look for when you're talking with Dennis is not was it perfect because the answer is it wasn't uh, it won't be it's you know when an issue came up both through the transition or or perhaps later in the partnership what was the approach taken to to resolve that issue and. You know, I think the fact we haven't talked about it, but we have almost no doctor turnover in Apex. Um, we, for the first time, That's pretty are, amazing. It's it's something. It's probably we the fact we are most proud of. Um, you know, those doctors with the kind of transition commitment. Uh, the overwhelming major- of majority of our doctors are are well past their transition commitment, and I think it spe- speaks to the partnership approach we take. Um, you know, both on a day to day, but also just. You know, how do we approach, um, you know, issues, growth, um, you know, making sure incentives are aligned and, and everybody winning in this partnership? And, and those are the things you should look to talk mm-hmm. to existing doctors about. Really, really good advice uh, from you and I, I think. Um, uh, I think, let's see, we're recording on a Tuesday. So Tuesday's my good advice date. Wednesday, not so much. I should say that. <laughs> But anyway, okay. last last question and then we'll wrap it up. If a doctor wants to sell to a group and they don't want to work back, will you consider that or is that a requirement? 
you know, we will, um, but the situation has to be specific. Now, that look, there are probably groups out there that have no issue with with that approach, but we find so much value. And, and I think truly part of the value that we ascribe to a practice in financial value in terms of purchase price is about the person. I spoke to how important that is for us in, in both, uh, you know, what attracts us to a practice and, and in some cases uh, scares us away from a practice is the person. And so, you know, we will, um, as, as a whole, we look for an extended transition. We have affiliated some practices where for health reasons, for age, just I, I didn't start early enough and that's absolutely not um, available to me. We have done those um done those deals and and you know but ultimately we are looking for a smooth patient transition a smooth staff transition um you know and and the i would say more abrupt that is from a doctor the the less smooth or or confident we can be so long way of saying we will um and encourage every doctor to at least have the conversation and and uh, if that's truly something that that is a must-have for you as a kind of a shorter-term transition. But as a whole, we do look for a, a, a more right. extended commitment. Uh, David Lohman of Apex uh, Dental Partners, thank you so much for your time. One more time, why don't you give out your contact information, um, how folks can, if, they, if anybody in the country has got a question for David, again, David's been kind enough to, you know, if you're in Maine, uh, he'll answer a question. If you are in Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, and you're, that this 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 is a you know this like all my podcasts folks this is a call to action if this is what you're looking for if it's not then you got some information put it in your back pocket maybe three five years from now you 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 take a look at it but if it's something that this podcast hits you right between the eyes right now and says gee maybe I should look at this you know if you're in Oklahoma Texas or Colorado you know give David a call if you're anywhere else in the country and you have a question he'll be happy to answer it and how do we get a hold of you. Yeah, and I, I would say that, look, we're actively looking to grow in those three states, as well as Missouri and Nebraska. And, and candidly, um, we have pursued kind of opportunistic. So, so you know, great practices, great people in markets that we might not otherwise be in. Um, we're always happy to grow around great people. So so don't let that be a reason you don't reach out. So uh, with that... Go ahead, give, give out your information. Yeah. Now I'm going to make a, now I'm gonna make a smart, uh, you know what comment. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, apexdp.com, our website, or you can reach us at affiliations at apexdp.com. Now, you said you're thinking about Nebraska. Now, you, you did say you were an Oklahoma guy. So you're going to open practices in Nebraska. You're the CEO. How's that going to go over? Um, you know, you, you know, we, we've navigated the landscape in Texas, which is is probably the more uh, the more current okay. rivalry. But you're you're absolutely right that uh, so, that football rivalry may uh, may cause some problems. It could be a problem. So I went I went to the U.S. Okay, so I, I I'm a I, I'm not a USC graduate, and folks in the East, that's not South Carolina, that's University of Southern California. Go Trojans! Um, I did not go to U, USC. I went to Long Beach State, but uh, our football program was. Um, uh, was uh, you know, we're undefeated since 1993 when they disbanded the football program, but I went to the USC Texas game at um, at in Austin. I'd never been to Austin before. I went with 105,000 of my closest friends. I think the Texas band has about 20,000 members. I really pick <laughs> up like half the freaking stadium, and I have a picture of the USC marching band. There might have been 20 or 30 of them. They were sitting up like 
five miles high there nobody can see them and you can't hear them so yeah i i know how texas works and then matthew mcconaughey is doing his hook'em horns and the governor of texas is on the big jumbotron hook'em horns and if they'd ended that game uh, after about 13 minutes we would have been in really good shape but it went an hour and that's the way it goes but anyway david david loman of uh, apex dental partners great great information really good food for thought for today so hang with me until i uh, take us out of the of the podcast and folks if you want to get a hold of me at my office in tustin i'm at 657-279-3243 my email address is a wiederman w-i-e-d-e-r-m-a-n at idbailey.com go on to our idbailey youtube page and we have all of our webinars that we've done for the six local dental societies in southern california go to our um, you know, log on to Ide Bailey at, uh, uh, and, and let's say all the, all the webinars are on there and, uh, you'll be able to find them. If you want to register for our webinars, email me. And, uh, if you're looking for, uh, you know, great magazine decisions in dentistry, great clinical content, uh, basically www.decisionsindentistry.com. If you want a complimentary consultation with a member of the ADCPA, or our firm, I Bailey, which is a member, uh, go ahead and fill out the form on their website. And if you're looking for a dental CPA anywhere in the country, um, www.adcpa.org. So go Sooners, right? That's right. Thanks for having me, Art. Oh, no problem, David. Thank you so much. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I am again honored and privileged to serve the dental profession and have so for almost now 37 years. Um, and it's just been, it's great. And I get to meet great people like David Lohman and his group and other folks that I've met along the way. And I will go back to my five word, uh, my five word saying I've been saying ever since March 16th of 2020, failure is not an option, folks. And I am so happy to say that lots of my dentists have come through this pandemic, probably the worst 12 months, 14 months of, of, of your professional career. And most all of you are still standing, you're thriving, you're th- uh, flourishing. A lot of my doctors really got an opportunity to do something that they've never had a chance to do, which is to sit there and think they're not going to work, they're at home, there's only only so many episodes of General Hospital one can watch, you know, and and and, and they, they really put a lot of time and effort into their practices. So I would encourage you to continue to do this. Dentistry is wonderful. So with that said, folks, um, it's always a pleasure, always an honor. Please tell your friends about our podcast. It's growing in in the thousands, and we're so honored to have you listening. Uh, With that said, this has been Art Wiederman for the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.